This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? dramatic or like sort of understated or what this is a land that prays for a hero the humor of the entire situation suddenly gave way to a run for survival you are listening to greening the apocalypse on triple r102.7 fm geez that's a fat bass isn't it I love that. Welcome, welcome, one and all, to this week's edition of Greening the Apocalypse, Three Triple R's weekly, overly virtuous, overly hypocritical, fun time family hour. Uh, Thank you, Sam Cummins, for the last few hours. And I got to uh, apologise. I forgot to thank Sam last week in your absence, Bushy. Um, So, apologies, Sam. Great show last week. Double thanks for the double bounce, Sam. Um,. I don't think he would double bounce. He's very athletic. Like, I could see Vaughn, I don't know, Vaughn, I don't know his athletic ability, so he might double bounce. But I reckon Sam would just be like, swish. Through, what are you ta- is he talking bowling? Double bounce? I think double bounce is, what are we talking I, about? I Mate, it was, it was talking a trampoline thing. It's trampoline the top of the building I'm over thinking there. more like, uh, oh, I'm thinking a double dribble in basketball. Uh, uh. That's, a tech, that's a tech law that you can not abide by in basketball. Um, let's not talk too much bollocks. We've got a guest waiting on hold, but before let's uh, before we go to him, let's talk about the personnel in the room. Adam, grab, I've not looked on yourself for several weeks. It does feel a long time. Feels like, wow, how you be? I'd be pretty good. Sporting a good haircut. Um, oh, yeah, DIY. DIY? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah it's, it don't right look too closely. Left-hand dominant. <laughs> yeah. I was just reading... Um, Elon, about Elon Musk, just you your know, mate. Yeah, f- a few minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. We did a show a little while back about you know taking a kind of um, critical look at some of his bolder claims and and business models. And mm. uh, but yeah, the biggest if you Google Elon Musk today, the first thing that comes up is this article in the Herald. Well, it's news.com.au, probably mm. in the Herald Sun about saying he is a complete fraud. That's probably like the. You know, he, he's for those that don't know, he's that character that um, is behind Tesla and SpaceX yeah. and was one of the founders of PayPal and is kind of like the eco Steve Jobs, only more so. He's like uh, <laughs> eco Jobs. You know, he, he, he denies wanting, he denies being the savior. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, there's so much hope invested in him, but um, we did a bit of a, uh, you know, applied a little bit of critical thinking to some of his business models and saying, well, there's a lot of hot air here, it seems, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, his cars don't actually run on uh, unicorn farts, as he, yeah. as he claimed. And <laughs> <laughs> it's not magic. The energy comes from somewhere. Anyway, we had a... But, yeah, so I don't know. I have really mixed feelings. One of my feelings is smugness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because kind of call it... But I'm not happy about the way that it's um, coming apart and or all the really well-meaning hopes and dreams that have been invested in him and by mm. broader than that in a kind of uh, ecologically, technologically green tech kind of you know clean and shiny but we all get to live how we want yeah. to just with with cooler toys that don't destroy the environment future i want that as much as everybody i just anyway that was you've really just done the rant. maths yeah, done yeah. The maths. but um anyway but yeah 
It's it kind of weird, isn't it? I remember, I, you often think about like some of those super, those mythologies of superheroes and stuff like that. And sooner or later, you know, Batman or Spy Man or Wonder Woman or whoever it might be, sooner or later they don't catch the person who's falling to their doom. You in know, real and, life. yeah. Well, just yeah. in in the comic, oh, in the like thing, sooner oh, or later, like Batman, Spy, whoever they are, they reach out to oh, grab the person and they, real, and they so miss and they, and they fall. Yeah. And everyone who was looking up, waiting for that magical moment where the hero would come to everyone's rescue, goes, oh. Oh, that person just fell to their death, and yeah. that superhero is not without fault. And I think Elon Musk, like for our times, has that kind of ah, oh, here he comes to save the day, kind of thing. Yeah. Only as that unravels, yeah. like because people need something to believe in. Like that's why you got TV evangelists. Yeah. You know that doesn't help me or you personally, I guess, and or nor would it help Jed. But you do have that sense that for Elon Musk, for a lot of people, they're like, oh, he'll sort this shit out. Yeah. You know, here comes Superman. Yeah. Yeah. For those that didn't hear, I forgot to mention to you, the reason for his big his downfall, and you probably know this, but that he called one of the uh, Thai cave rescuers a, a pedophile mm. on, on Twitter. And, uh, but it's just really, it, it's simultaneous with, um, well, it's it's an endless amount of bad economic news for him, but um, it's it's his share prices have dropped, mm. I don't know, 10% in the last few weeks. Should have stuck with PayPal, pal. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Jed. Yeah. Hello, Bushy, and um, welcome back after a week, sick week last week. Yeah, I was locked mm. down in my own personal pit of despair. And welcome back to Adam. Yeah, it's yes. probably been two weeks, but you know, it seems like forever. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's good. Maybe time is slowing down around us a little bit. Hey, um, we should get to our guest because yeah. he's on hold. He is. Uh, is he on hold on our dime or his? Uh, outdoor. Okay, that's not so bad. Um, we'll give him a bit of an introduction. We've had him on the show before. Um, long time ago. Long time ago. He's a bit of a he's a bit of an everything man. He he had uh, bad news with the doctor some years ago, uh, in which it was revealed he had some serious health concerns. Uh, he took the opportunity to turn his life around. He became uh, much more of a holistic thinker, an actor. He got out amongst it. He began to eat and move with the seasons and shift his values in life. He authored a couple of books, Ripper books they are too. Uh, I believe one was endorsed by uh, Robert Plant of uh, Led Zeppelin. We'll have to double-check that one. Um, in order to double-check, we should introduce the man, Rowan Anderson. Are you there? Yeah, I am. <laughs> How are you, son? Yeah, good, thanks. So just to confirm, um, before we sort of get into the, the, the um, solid mass of your story, did, um, did Robert Plant actually endorse Whole Lot of Love? Yeah, well, um, I, I went and did a... I was touring the States doing a bit of a book tour and, and did an event in San Antonio, Texas, and somebody bought a copy who was friends... He's friends with Robert Plant, bought him a copy because he's a big fan of cooking and uh and the play on words they thought that was a bit funny and i was like absolutely shitting my pants because i thought there was a lawsuit coming. <laughs> totally. yeah yeah um and uh anyway he um apparently he, he he got the book he thought it was the name was hilarious and and loved the content so i was pretty stoked about that being a tragic zeppelin fan so that's awesome and but let's also be honest I mean, when it comes to slinging lawsuits at people for copyright i don't think any of the guys from led zeppelin are one to speak if we were to no. dig back through their early catalogue that's right. <laughs> mm. But um, let's just do a bit of a recap because we were, had you on the show a few years ago. Um, but your story reads like an interesting one. Um, you know, doing like a lot of us would do and did and are still doing. You were on the um, the treadmill of life, um, 
working your ass to the grindstone, um, eating from um, some pre-packaged freezer food, kind of, you know, just getting a bit lost in the maelstrom a bit until a fateful visit to a doctor some years ago. Take us back there and we'll, we'll move forward from that point. Yeah, well, it, you know, just like, it really, it's a, like a, a very common story. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of very unhealthy people in the Western world and, and I was one of them and it, and it wasn't a matter of, you know, a lack of information out there. It was just bad choices and, and also, you know, the crap that's basically put in front of us um, and, and fed to us, whether it's through, you know, media advertising, blah, blah, blah. And I ended up being you know, working my guts out for the dream of owning things and, and, um, and acquiring wealth. And, and to do that, I had to work hard and I worked long hours and I got caught up eating, um, you know, what a lot of people would call normal food. Um, I didn't exercise and, and I just became, you know, morbidly obese. And with that obesity came a whole lot of, you know, health dramas. And, uh, and that was really a wake up call for me as a parent, um, and as an individual, and I, I just started to kind of ask questions about the food I was eating, and that just took me down this ridiculous set of you know rabbit holes, which was made me look at what I was eating, what it was doing to my body, where the food was coming from, how the food was produced, and and um, and how, you know how far the food had got to me, and it just it really it it basically consumed my life really because I was asking so many questions of my food. Um, and, and during that whole process, um, naively, I posted it all online with, with the idea that, you know, I reckon there's people out there that, that are probably going through a similar thing or want to ask similar questions or might be interested in moving out of that kind of normal-ish lifestyle and, and trying to escape, maybe escape to the country or escape and have a bit of a a country lifestyle in a city environment or something on those lines. So I kind of shared the whole story online and wrote a couple of books and, um, and, and that was it. Indeedy. So you, you, in other words, you rocked the boat a bit and stuck your neck out in a bunch of other kind of um, turns of phrase we might apply to it, which brings us, um, I guess, to the crux of why we've got you back on the phone because a, an article came around uh, recently. It was public, published on The Searched and... Um, I got a massive kick out of reading it because it sort of it reflected a thing that I probably haven't necessarily something I've often struggled to articulate myself. Um, and the title of the article, Rowan, was "How Being Ethical Made Me Hate Being Ethical." <laughs> now let's uh, we'll backtrack a little bit, um, and so so how does this kind of thing start? Because you don't just sort of wake up one day and go, "No, I'm done. Or, this shits me." And write that you you start to develop something of a social media presence and quite a good following. And I I've followed a lot of your stuff. I've gone through your books and all that sort of stuff. It strikes me that what you're kind of doing is just publishing information. It sort of doesn't seem. I, I think I had to look pretty hard to find anything that sort of smelt overly opinionated. But um, maybe you could correct us on that if that's the case. But take take us back a bit. Well, I think you know. I mean, like like you know. We all have opinions, and and I think there's a there's a there's there's a bit of a, a challenge when you're sharing this type of information on the internet because you know you you, you basically you're touching on some pretty sensitive issues, especially say something around um, eating dairy or meat. And so, if what I tried to do over the entire journey was 
and I didn't always get it right. I'll, I'll completely admit that it, sometimes I got I let my frustrations get the better of me. But I try it, it, to take the, the approach uh, in communicating the, the message or the information that this is what I'm doing. This is applicable to my life, and this is how I'm making changes in my life in regards to food or the, my impact on environment or whatever. You can take from this information what you will. I'm not saying that everyone should do it. I mean, I'd say things along the I mean, you can have the conversation with anybody, any normal, relatively normal human being, and say, okay, what are your thoughts on uh, pigs in factories in, in crappy conditions? Most people would say, yeah, it's not very cool, right? Mm. So you could have those, you know, you know, you know you, that's kind of fairly obvious information that you'd be putting out there and saying, oh, it's not really, that's not very cool. Um, but in most situations, like, say, for example, um, uh, the, uh, dairy is a really good one. I would, I would never in my journey to say, um, dairy is really bad. I don't want to eat dairy. It's bad for the environment. It's bad for our health. Don't eat it. I mean, I love dairy. I eat dairy all the time. Mm. Um, but um, th- I know that there are, I get, I, I get quite frustrated when people discover a new bit of information and it changes their approach to life, whether it be um, in food or some other ethical realm of their life. And because they're so proud or, or, or blown away by this new revelation, they want to tell everybody that they should also be embracing this exact same way of life that they believe in. And I tried to avoid that through the whole journey as much as possible. And it's funny because... In the very, very early days of writing blogs, um, remember blogs? I mean, people used to do yeah. them. I, I actually still, I'm still doing one. Did I mean, you publish yours on MySpace? Uh, no, I was actually, what was the first, I think it was WordPress years ago that I, and there was another one that I think is now completely defunct. But yeah, that's gone through a lot of different iterations there. But there was one funny moment I remember, and I wrote about this in this article um, on the searched, um, which was. Um, uh, some there was a drug um, rehab centre just outside of Ballarat that had um, part of the treatment for the people going through drug rehab had um, a vegetable garden and uh, a chook pen, and that was part of the process of them going through rehab was like having this kind of get back to nature lifestyle. But in the chook pen was a couple of feral pigeons, and the people that were running the rehab centre were too scared. Every time they'd go to try and catch the pigeons, the pigeons would fly away and they'd freak them out. You know. Like, I had, I've got an ex-wife that was scared of butterflies. Bless yeah, me. yeah. Um, but, you know, people are scared of funny things, and pigeons, people are scared of pigeons, so they called me up and said, Ro, can you come get rid of these pigeons? And I'm like, straight away, I'm thinking, you know what, those pigeons have been in that chicken pen. They've been eating chicken food. They're probably going to be pretty fat, pretty full of, um, of, of good food. I'm going to catch them and eat them. Nice. And so I went and caught the pigeons and took them home to the girls, um, and I my got four girls and they're all very little at that stage um some of them i think were in kinder um and the others were in primary school and i said to the girls look you know um i've always been really open with the girls about where the meat comes from and i thought it would be a good idea to because the birds were smaller than chickens it would be a good way um for the kids to get involved in the plucking process you know and 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 the gutting process because it they weren't as big as, as chickens. They wouldn't be so intimidated. So the girls were really excited about it. We photographed, my partner photographed Kate Berry, um, uh, took these beautiful photographs of, of the whole process. And um, we ate, we killed the, the feral pigeons. We made a delicious pigeon pie that we still talk about to this day. Um, and then I wrote this story about how I, I found it amazing that um, in our culture, unlike other cultures, we quite happily eat meat, but we hide the fact that the reality of how the meat gets to um, to, uh, 
to our place. Yep. Um, and, and, and that was part of my process of, of kind of acknowledging the fact that I have now, even though I grew up on a cattle farm, I didn't, I didn't work at the ads where the cows were processed. They just came back as meat. They left as cows and came back as meat. So I never saw the process. So this, this, this for me, this was a way of, of just explaining to people of my journey of saying, you know, uh, we've killed these animals. I did it with my kids to teach them. I, d- I don't want them to not know where their meat comes from or to be grossed out by the situation. Anyway, so from that um, post, I copped a lot of flack from people online saying it's disgusting what you've done with your kids, that you, you got your kids to help kill animals um, and, and pluck them and gut them and, and, and cook them and all that type of stuff. And, and so with social media, there's the ability, that beauty of people having open accounts so uh, not every uh, you know account is private. So I would click on a couple of these people that were making comments and abusing me for doing this. And there's photos of people eating hamburgers, yeah, and and and, and friggin' steaks with melted butter on them. Um, and so I was like sitting there going, thinking to myself, this is really interesting. There's meat eaters compl- complaining to me that I'm disgusting because I'm uh, I'm doing I'm, I'm killing animals with my kids and teaching them how to kill animals. Um, and I, that kind of was at the beginning, really. And that was a long time. I think that was about six, seven years ago. That was the beginning of when I think I, I started to see the contradiction in in social media and how we react to certain realities. And I think um, quite often we let we let we're so offended by reality, the way re, the way we we react is with contradiction. And and um, and, and so ever since then, there's, I've been on this kind of journey of, of posting what I'm doing online and and having to deal with the reaction online. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting thing as well. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking about that as well. As a, I mean, the, the actual animal in question, these two stray pigeons, um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, you, you were enlisted to knock them off because they're a feral species introduced. So tick that box. Um, most people would argue that, you know, you've helped other native birds and all sorts of things and uh and then and then to get into trouble for actually utilizing that resource and not losing it to the ether um and as you say in the face of that classic hypocrisy i mean there's not one of us alive today who isn't somewhat hypocritical but not all of us are screaming from the rooftops and uh telling everyone else uh what a monster they are it does seem like a very strange story um and, and a, a, slight, a slightly related yet unrelated story, I got into some trouble um, amongst my, my crew at Easter when we were up on the Murray and the, the, the kids had caught their first fish, but it was um, a carp and uh, it was a big bastard of a carp too. And as the law states, you know, you're not allowed to put those back in the water alive, you've got to kill them. And the only way I know how to um, take the life of a, of a fish, especially with some spines and um, of the muscle mass of this big carp, is to so do that little thing under the neck and then pop the head off. Um, because I certainly don't want to put a knife anywhere near something that's flapping around. And, and I got into a hell of a lot of trouble, not so much for doing that in front of the kids, but that they hadn't yet had an opportunity to take a photo with the first fish they'd caught. Um, <laughs> l- lucky for us, it was strictly a phones-down holiday uh, holiday outing, so there was no Instagram record. But I have just stated it um, on, a, on a global <laughs> podcast, what a monster I am. Hey, uh, Rowan, we'd, we'd love to keep digging into this uh, idea of ethics and disagreements and arguing and... and the online realm of, uh, of comment threads. So if we can hold you on the line, we'll go to our first track that'll be sensational. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. You 
you are on Green in the Apocalypse on 3 Triple R, and we have on the line tonight Rowan Anderson, author of Whole Lot of Love, and uh, what's what's the other, name of the other book again? A Year of Factor Culture. That's the one. And uh, we've been talking about uh, the challenges of putting yourself out there into the into the world and um, and sharing your life. And by your own admission, you were something of an oversharer as you explored. Uh, embracing a bit more of a DIY lifestyle and self-sufficiency. And there was a bit of backlash to that. And in your most recent blog post, you mentioned T-Gate. Tell us about that. Well, mentioned, what does that mean? Oh, T-Gate. T-Gate. Oh, yeah. T-Bag Gate, which is oh, not what it sounds like. <laughs> no, oh, that, that's hilarious. I mean, that, that's one of those things that... I think that leads to a bigger a bigger uh, issue about other people having such um, awesome ethics that they feel obliged to let other people, other people, complete strangers on the internet, know that their ethics are shit. Um, and so I, I, I had gone through a period of time uh, where I wanted to... I, I basically didn't drink any alcohol for a while just to kind of reset habitual behaviour. I do it every couple of years. I'm right in the middle of doing one at the moment. And so I put a photograph on online of a cup of peppermint tea and it was organic. It was an organic brand. It was an Aussie brand. And uh, and I had people give me curry because I I was drinking a peppermint tea that was from a supermarket. Um, and so and I remember... Because you're, you're not meant to go to supermarkets, Rowan. You're not allowed to go to supermarkets. Well, you know, there has been occasions when I've gone to supermarkets uh, to buy, you know, soap and toothpaste and, and whatnot and the things I don't make because I'm apparently completely live off the land and be self-sufficient. Um, and uh, people have said to me in supermarkets, what are you doing here? Um, anyway, that's a different story. Um, <laughs> buying cigars. Yeah, exactly. Um, buying tampons. Um, I... Um, I, I um, I had this cup of tea and somebody complained that the... it was So there's different types of these ethical genius people that um, I've had interactions with. And one, one of the ethics people is they're so obsessed by health that it kind of like the, 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 um, the disciplines of extreme health choices and extreme ethical choices seem to kind of marry together and mm-hmm. they just become a, an overall awesome person. Um, and apparently there's a lot of toxins in the string and in the bag of a tea bag. And it's really, really bad for my health. And I was an, I was an, thank goodness this person informed me, I was an idiot for having that toxic tea. Um, and then, then there was another one too, which, which was, I really did appreciate because it was pretty, a pretty good opinion. Um, and, and I actually did feel bad about about the situation for a while afterwards, and I did rectify the situation straight away. Um, they complained the fact that I wasn't growing my own peppermint bushes, drying my own peppermint leaves, and making my own peppermint tea, um, because clearly I have time to do that um, on top of all the other things that I'm doing in the veggie garden and, and um, killing innocent pigeons. So there, there was a slash S at the end of that, so you didn't actually start growing peppermint tea? Uh, no, I did. I ran out oh, you did. to... Okay. I, I ran out to Bunnings yeah. <laughs> to buy uh, peppermint tea, and then in the Bunnings car park, um, I realised how much of a bad person I was because I was supporting Bunnings, and and what I should be doing is not chopping at Bunnings because me not chopping at Bunnings would mean that would make a massive difference to 
the bottom line of Bunnings and they're a big corporation and they should go to hell. Mm. So, I mean, it, the, whole, the whole event basically opened my eyes up to the fact that I can't do... I couldn't do anything or post anything without some sort of ethical backlash that I, you know, I'd done something wrong because what I was doing didn't fit into somebody else's ethical um, uh, belief system. And I think that's, that's what kind of prompted me to write the article was uh, I posted something recently and it, it had just been... And it, this kind of thing had come back to haunt me of, of, of people having these extreme ethics and, and online kind of um, ethics Olympics um, which is a great... Um, I'm going to completely <laughs> steal that from you, Bushy. Um, <laughs> ethics, ethics Olympics of where we're trying to outdo each other with I'm more um, ethically elite than you, and so um, because I've, I've got more, I've got more stuff in my life sorted out than you. Um, when I see you post something online, I'm going to, I'm going to take the time to tell you that your your ethics don't match my awesome ethics, and uh, you really need to rectify that situation. So that's what my response to that was to say: Look, enough's enough. I think we've, I think we've kind of overplayed this um, whole um, ethics thing. And to be quite honest, uh, Bushy, I've I've started, over the last couple of years, I post less stuff on social media that involves uh, any food or environmental political undertones mm. just purely because I can't be bothered with the interaction. Yeah. So where, where it once used to be an awesome conversation that you'd have with people and you could explore different ideas, it's now, I, I find it, it's now basically just, it, it's, you're dealing with, you know, 20, 20 good people that are, are, are saying, yeah, I, I like that kind of different way of thinking. And you've got like two or three people, maybe five people that come in and say, nah, you're doing it all wrong. Mm. My way is the best way. And, uh, and, and you really need to change the, what your approach. And so, I mean, now I just post photo, photographs of landscapes and motorbikes and probably, you know, too many photos of my girlfriend. Beautifully but, you know, composed I mean, shots they are too. Beautiful photos. What do you reckon oh, it's... Mate. What do you reckon it's changed, Rowan? Are, are there more people who've actually got their shit together and are therefore very ethical, or are people um, uh, more used to the anonymity of um, social media, whereby they feel like they can have it a go at you because they'll never meet you? Well, I reckon it's both, to be honest. No, I reckon there's. I, I think it's fantastic that people are making more ethical choices. That's something that we want to see. The thing is, I think it's important that. Um, maybe if there's like an ethics school that we could go to and you say, look, it's great. Here's, here's, a, here's the ideal set of ethics that we want people to have because they're, you know, it'll be good for the environment, it's good for health, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? If you go and see Mrs. Jones down the street who's, who's still eating a can of Spam, don't tell her that she's a bad person because she's eating the Spam. Let her live her own life. Mm. You know, and I think, I think that's what social media's done. It's got these people that are really engaged with ethics and they're really engaged with the conversation, but then they take it to the next level where they start to become, um, in a way, socially aggressive with their ethics. And I think it's, I think what I've, I've kind of had a gutful of is, is being on the receiving end of it. And, and that frustration led me to write this, this article. Yeah. But is it as simple as, as that though? Cause Mrs. Jones, I mean, she sounds like, you know, she's doing it pretty tough and, uh, She's eating spam, and there's probably no polite way of bringing it up. But the the fact remains that there's some valid ethical considerations about um, whether we should eat meat or processed food or 
anything that's got and you know you write in in your most recent article that it was one of your primary motivators as you started looking at this and realizing that every decision you make there is behind the the packaging and this uh superficially um you know minor minor decision to make there actually is factory farmed pork or chicken and food miles and pesticides and preservatives and plastic packaging mm. and like it 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 takes a a mental effort to be aware of that and mm. um i don't know if it's part of the because, yeah it, it's it's a side shoot of that but you to you have to learn how to make those decisions yourself and address those ethical concerns with people around you because it if if it is just you there's really no point doing it at all so ha- yeah, I, I think it's a strategy it's, issue is it that you're you're hmm. concerned about like how well, do you think, approach it well okay let's 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 look at this if you go to say net netflix there's almost a genre of food documentaries right mm. so there's, there's, there is enough information, and I think there's a, there needs to be a line drawn between here's the, here's the factual scientific information about an ethical issue or here's the ethical dilemma here and present what the issue is and then allow people to make up their own mind about it. Mm. And I think, I think we're on, especially on social media, is the, the, the issue isn't the fact that there's, we, want people, we want change to happen regarding ethical issues. The issue is people getting on their high horse and making it unattractive because they're being aggressive to other people that aren't adhering to their ethics. And I'll give you a good example of that, Peter. Mm-hmm. So mm. I, don't, I don't like any of Peter's t- um, uh, approaches to life. And in fact, my philosophy that I personally have, which is not going to be the same as everybody else, uh, in regards to eating meat, is that I believe that I'm an omnivorous, biological organism and if you look at the big picture of nature um, and you get rid of um, a structured society whatsoever um, if we turn return back to animals which we are I would be quite happy eating killing animals and eating them in a some sort of a balanced diet with with vegetables and the plant matter mm-hmm. okay so that's my opinion Peter doesn't see Peter as an organization doesn't see that um, viewpoint in any way whatsoever. So they take drastic measures to do to raise their opinion of an ethical situation that not everybody's going to agree with, but they just push it in people's faces. And it becomes uncomfortable and unattractive. And you're not going to make any social change. You're not going to, there's no way known, there is no way known the world is going to turn vegan. I mean, that is a no. really, that's a reality that a lot of vegans are going to be very sad to hear, but it's a reality. Too many people like parmesan cheese and and uh and too many people like cheap crappy ham from a supermarket in their lunchtime sandwiches you're just not going to change those people so my issue isn't the fact that there is an ethical dilemma with the way we produce animals harvest animals process animals that that there's some serious problems with that my issue is how we as individuals on social media communicate to other people about that ethical dilemma and by being being aggressive and saying you shouldn't eat meat is not, you know, not necessarily the way to go. That is a great discussion. It's a bit like uh, religion used to be where people would try and sort of shove that down your throat Um, and now now this is ethics. But I think think there's some serious correlations between ethics 
this ethics movement and religion because you can get and I wrote about this as a black, it's a black hole. And, and I, I was brought up as a Catholic. And, and, you know, you see the world as through Christian and Catholic eyes, okay? So you, mm. you, you, whether or not that, that's really the motivation behind Christianity, I, I don't know. But you don't see the world through, any, through open-mindedness. It's the same thing about when you, when you go down the ethics black, black hole. And I, and I felt this. I used to get so super depressed that I'd, I'd, walk, I'd go into Melbourne or Ballarat or anywhere where there's a lot of people and I would just get so depressed knowing that pretty much the entire population had no idea of the, all the ethical dilemmas that existed out there in the world and no one was addressing them. And, it, and it's because I could only see the world through my ethical eyes. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, thankfully, I've got a partner who doesn't see the world through... She's very ethical, but she doesn't see the world that in that approach. And so she's taught me to accept the fact that, you know what, there's people that are doing it really tough out there. They can't even pay their bills, let alone afford a free-range chicken as opposed to the $8 pre-roasted chicken. But, so their, their priorities are, can I feed my kids tonight, mm-hmm. not can I go to the farmer's market and buy a $40 free-range chicken. So... So that really opened my eyes to be to see the world and have an understanding that there are ethical dilemmas out there, but also have an understanding that there's a lot of people out there that are eating a can of spam that are in struggle town, and we need to be mindful of the fact that um, not everyone's going to have the same answers uh, to fix all the world's problems than we, than we, that we do. And mm. I think that's where being on the receiving end of, of sharing my journey and admitting that I don't always get it right um, and and then having a lot of criticism that kind of I realize that there's a lot of people out there that are just seeing the world through these ethical eyes and they can't see it I mean you can if you, you post something that um, is going to offend a vegan and I'm not saying I know lots of nice vegans by the way but you know there's there's, there's the cliche vegan that you know gets really really angry and it's because they're seeing everything through vegan eyes and so they, they, you post something on the internet and a vegan sees it and they get triggered, they're going to go straight away and say, I can see this through vegan eyes, this doesn't, this doesn't fit well into my belief system, so I'm going to say something on social media. You know what that does? That pushes people that, pushes people that were considering making an ethical choice about something, that pushes them away um, because they see the vegan and they, they, they immediately react to be offensive and, um, and the whole... The chance of converting that person to make better choices in their life is gone because they're vegan. You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. And Triple R is where you're at, and it's where you'll be until uh, 8 o'clock. I'm getting a funny echo there. Oh, that's the phone line, isn't it? Uh, Rowan Anderson's on the phone. We got him back uh, on the show tonight uh, for an interesting discussion point. It's a bit of a chat about the online world and the way people respond to one another and the ongoing war of ethics and so forth. Um, he wrote an article... Oh, a week or so back called How Being Ethical Made Me Hate Being Ethical. Rowan, there is a real kind of catch-22 going on here. We were just chatting about this off-air. If you choose to care and if you choose to make changes and if you choose to behave consciously and if you choose to do your very level best, odds are a lot of people are going to call you a wanker. But then if you choose to not do any of those things and just... Well, you kind of are a wanker because you, you just to live in this world... 
um, you like nobody is living outside of the fossil fuel um, fuel you know industrial complex. No. And uh, no matter what you do, you're always going to be um, part of these like very destructive industries. Hmm. Just and living and breathing, being in this, um, and 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 so you're all, you're hypocritical as soon as you try. Absolutely, and, and yet so if you, you got, don't try. So you are a wanker, shameless Donald <laughs> Trump. No one gives it, not giving a shit about your hypocrisy and all that sort of stuff, and you know, saying fuck this and f the world. If you if you take that path, yeah. you're, you're the asshole. You're the asshole. It's a very strange place, and it's a liberate. It's a liberating thing to be an asshole. Yeah, because you and, and Donald Trump is shameless, mm. and uh, you know, just uh, criticism criticism rolls off him because mm. he doesn't give a fuck. Mm. And um, it it's uh, it. I, I mean, I have to. To say reading the article, Rowan, I was a little there, there's a little bit at the end where it's a bit like I don't give a fuck, and I felt like, and we all have to choose where we are on the wanker to asshole spectrum. But mm. after you know years as a wanker, you're a little bit like I'm over it. I'm just becoming a little bit more of an asshole. How do you yeah, feel well, about that? Yeah, well, you know, I am an asshole, and I think, <laughs> I think um, you very at the very beginning of the show, you somebody said the word smug, right? Yeah, and. It's one of my favourite emotions. Yeah, well, <laughs> the amount of times I have been called um, smug, um, I got one the other day because I, I got called smug because I'd lost 30 kilos and I was now talking about the fact that um, how to address uh, weight um, as, as an unhealthy part of life. Um, you know, you've got to exercise and diet and blah, 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 and we really should be addressing our obesity issue in the Western world because it doesn't exist in a lot of other countries because they don't eat the shit food that we eat. Mm. And someone called me, oh, this reeks of smugness that you've lost weight now and you hate, you hate fat people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so so yeah. that's, that's social media for you. So you know what? I am now an asshole. I am Rowan Anderson... <laughs> Previously known as Whole Art of Love, now known as the arsehole that is sick of people being strongos. Yeah. It's such a weird world anyway, though, right? Cause, uh, because I had the health epiphany. Because last year I was like, God, I couldn't get through one of these shows without sort of three or four stubbies in a two-hour bracket. And I was, I was just drinking too much and then having to wait a few hours so I could drive home and, and all this sort of nonsense. And I wasn't living well and everything. And I turned it all around and I'm health, getting healthy as and you know, getting up early and doing all this kind of stuff. And it's such a weird world. A couple of months ago, I went out for a run and I got this little run tracker so that when I get home, I can have a look and it'll tell me the exact path that I've run. And it'll show me like every road I took, every time I crossed the road, I went back again. And so I used that technology to run out. To run out. I should put this in the Facebook page for Green and the Apocalypse, actually. I ran out on the football oval at 5.30 in the morning, the shape of a classic dick and balls. And I think you might have seen it up on the social medias because I overshare a bit. And that thing, when I put that on Facebook, it got somewhere in the vicinity of about 260 to 300 responses, right? And then a couple of days later, I made a very heartfelt plea with the world on the anniversary of Chris Cornell's tragic death. I said, look, just we've got to look out for each other. We've got to be kind. We've got to look for the people who are struggling and try and, you know, communicate with them. That got like 19, you know what I mean? So it's a weird world anyway because... I guess what my point there is that someone like yourself who's uh, trying, and I had the great turn of phrase from a mate of mine years ago, is when a man's done his best, he's done enough. And it strikes me that you've been doing your level best to shift your own, the direction of your own ship. But that makes you a soft target as well. Because we are, I mean, we are, I mean, you and I chatted earlier today, and I've been thinking a lot about this, and we are all in our own ways somewhat 
uh, hypocritical, regardless of how powerful our efforts are. But yep. anyone who's attacking the efforts of people who want to make positive change, it's, you know, it does seem to me... It's like the Cecil the Lion thing. We talked about this a few years ago on the show. When Cecil the Lion got, uh, got shot, the whole world became um, very enraged. And, you know, no-one likes to see a lion get shot. That's fair enough. But at the same time, there was a hell of a lot of really tragic, really awful things going on in the world. That hadn't mm. stopped. But we were all able to jump in together on this sort of real, relatively straightforward attack. And um, I don't know, it sort of seemed... And it, you know, it, I don't know. I don't have any answers for this, but it, it does seem like we've lost the capacity to to talk, to agree, to mm. disagree, to, um, to argue, to do anything... Um, we've got a little bit of time left still, but Adam, do you want to quickly touch on this thing that we've got here in front of us, Paul Graham's hierarchy of disagreement? Mm. Mm. Brian Kaplan, who's an um, economist professor who wrote um, The Case Against Education recently, which uh, I haven't read, but sounds very interesting, mm-hmm. anti-education. He anti-education? thinks it's all signalling. Straight um, up. But he posted on, uh, um, on Facebook a few days ago, when I was in high school... I dreamt of a world where people wanted to spend all day arguing about philosophy, politics and economics. Now we're here and I was wrong. Wrong. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so, I mean, this dream has come true where we're all enabled to share opinions, but um, I I guess it's what he's referring to is that it's become uh, ghettoised on the one hand and uh, it's allowed people to have fairly uninformed, one-sided and um, uh, opinions. And then when they meet in the middle, they're often uh, doing ad hominem attacks or, you know, pretty... pretty. There, has, there hasn't developed concurrent with this um, massive empowerment of communication a culture for doing it well. Seems to have inflamed like a sort of a binary-looking um, tribalism. Well, you, you used to have to present a, a cogent argument in a discussion. Hmm. Now you've got how many, what is it, 400 characters or something uh, to present. <laughs> yeah, so that's um, one part of it. So so the easiest way is... The anonymity. Yeah you, you, yeah. you don't know the person. You're not face-to-face. Yeah. You just go into attack mode instead of... Um, having to convince them mm. or... And the cycle's so quick that by the time you do bump into that person, in per, in, you know, you might have forgotten anyway. Mm. Sorry, Rowan, you know what you're saying? Do you, think, do you think there's some room to acknowledge the fact that people behind the screens have got their own life issues going on yeah. and social media, regardless of... I mean, I've always said there's no shortage of idiots in the world, but I reckon... I reckon there's also no shortage of angry idiots, and I think there's a lot of people that are really angry, and and they might they might have a moment where they're not they don't have to do uh, they don't have to be at work or they just got home from work or they they're in between transiting from work or whatever, and and they see something and they attack straight away because they're, they're, there's a lot of anger in in, mm. in people, and and you know I find that if I go down to Melbourne, I get tense. It's a pretty stressful life living in the... You know, you know that too, Bushy. You, you bugger off out into the, to the country. Yeah. Life is so much more awesome. And you get... You know, you're very, very tense. And I wonder whether or not there's an element... There's an element of that that, that really the social media is just a platform to people... You know, maybe the issue isn't just about one set of ethics being better than another. Maybe it's about people being so angry with how the world is or their life is going that they're just getting angry with each other. Mm. Yeah. There's a 
uh, kind of communication and facilitation um, system, which has the worst name. It's called nonviolent communication. And because. Uh, so that I mean, guy just died recently, a couple of years ago. Oh, that yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sort of implies that the rest of communication is violent unless you're doing it that way. But um, it, I think it it's aimed at getting precisely to deal with what you're talking about is trying to trying to hear what what people's real concerns are not what they're saying and being generous in your empathy t- towards their context and and their history and not getting carried away in the details of what's actually being expressed if that's not what the real issue is and so i'll just put that out there that i haven't done it but i know that there's actual training and there's side shoots off this as well um there's the whole whole schools of stuff on how to do this better in the real world and probably helps you do it online as well mm. yeah my, my girlfriend tried to get me to go to one of those courses that I, i'm too much of an angry walk i can't help myself <laughs> <laughs> to know yourself is the ultimate form of aggression they do say okay. hey uh just looking at the clock here in the studio we're gonna have to wrap it up because we're gonna run out of time but uh thanks rowan look all those years of um, contributing content, thank you for your efforts there. Um, I mean, thank you to the efforts of all people out there that contribute content on, on such a scale, bigger, smaller, whatever. It's no small feat um, to fit it into your life and to open yourself up. But um, we'll keep an eye on what you're getting up to, Rowan, and, and all the best uh, in your endeavours, and I hope to catch up with you soon um, out in the countryside. Sounds good, mate. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.